Oh, good morning. Uh, we're in a series called Guardrails. I think we take them for granted most of the time. Maybe because we're in this series, you've noticed them a little more than usual. But today's topic is money matters. I think we'd all agree with that. I'm going to start by talking about this. I don't know about you, but I know too much about other, um, excuse me, <laughs> what others have and I don't have. I'm aware that other people have maybe nicer vehicles than me, that have nicer this, that have nicer that, newer phone, whatever it might be. Consequently, it causes me to be discontented with what I have. And I think sometimes, what would I not have if I didn't know what other people have? How much more would I have saved if I hadn't known what other people have? How much more could I have given away if I didn't know what other people have? And so there's this tendency to lure us into spending more than we make, uh, buying stuff we don't need, buying stuff we regret and trying to sell for like 10% of what we paid for it later or maybe even giving it away. The problem is it's an appetite. And we've talked about appetites before. How do you satisfy an appetite? By feeding it? Well, temporarily. But appetites grow as you feed them. The more you eat, the more you want to eat. So the only way to break an appetite is to starve it. So we need to put, in this case, guardrails around financial appetites so that they don't grow. So real quick, a review of what we mean by guardrails. Some of you, it'll be review. Um, for some, it might be new. We know what it is on a highway, a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas, off a curve, off a cliff, off a bridge, whatever it might be. We all know what that is. Another way of saying it is they direct and protect. They direct us to the safety, they protect us from the danger. Direct and protect. That's what a guardrail on a highway does. Guardrails also provide preventive living. They prevent us from damage. Um, they keep us from going into some or doing something we uh, shouldn't do. Now, it's really important to understand that they are placed not in the danger zone. The guardrail is not over the cliff, halfway down the cliff. It's cliff, guardrail, and then we try and stay on this side. So it's placed in the safety zone. So when we bump up against it or when we get close to it, that should single, signal danger to us, not when we've hit it or gone through it. So they're consequently, they're designed to minimize damage. Shared about the time I hit one, my car wasn't hurt, I wasn't hurt, nobody else was hurt. <clears throat> but in these other areas, they minimize regrets. Some of our biggest regrets and many of our regrets could have been avoided if we had guardrails in place in our finances and our relationships and our and our morality, and then our money um, could have been re uh, avoided, and life would have been a lot better without those regrets. But why we're talking about this, because highways aren't the only place we need guardrails. We need guardrails in our finances and those other areas. <clears throat> the other issue is culture doesn't encourage guardrails. Society doesn't encourage it. In fact, it's contented with some vague guidelines. And, and the worst part is that then they make fun of us or shame us when we cross over, when we don't drink responsibly, whatever terminology they want to use. Now, 
when we talk about money in church, let me just say this to you. <laughs> I'm not talking about this because our church wants your money. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. Um, we're also not going to talk about how to stay out of debt, which is a good thing. But we have classes, financial peace. There's other places you can learn how to do that. I, hopefully you have taken that class or something similar and you're staying out of debt. We're going to talk about something more foundational, more fundamental, uh, a deeper level, this issue about that affects our financial life. <clears throat> now, as far as a guardrail, our definition is a standard of personal behavior. Personal. Your guardrails are personal to you. Mine are personal to me. Yours are different than mine. I don't require, expect you to, to follow mine, and hopefully you don't expect me to follow yours. They're personal. I've decided whatever your area of my life it is, it becomes a matter of conscience when I get to this guardrail. So financially, when I get close to this guardrail, we have a spending plan or a budget. And so I can look at that and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, we've spent most of our money in that category. Uh, that's a guardrail. Uh, I'd like to buy this now, but I can't yet. Uh, your guardrail and financial budget or whatever you want to call it would be different than mine. So it's personal to each one of us. Now, <clears throat> so we're going to talk about financial guardrails. Now, if you're a free agent, meaning you aren't a Jesus follower, you're not trying to do what God wants you to do or the Bible tells you to do, you're just listening for some other reason. I encourage you to listen. Spiritual principles benefit all people. So they, these principles will benefit you as well as Jesus followers. But you don't have to do what I talk about. Maybe you're curious. Hopefully you are curious. What does Jesus have to say in this case about this? But if you're a Jesus follower, if you've signed on, if you've signed up, you don't have, and I don't have a choice about this. Jesus is our boss, for a better word. We're going to use the word master later. He's our boss. He's our master. So what he says should be our marching orders. It should be what we do. Well, let me put your mind at ease. Most people, most Jesus followers don't do what I'm going to talk about today. So you, if you don't, you're in the, mi I'm in the majority. If you do, you're in the minority. Uh, but hopefully more people will move into this area, this category. I've said this before. I get calls. And usually I get calls. I, I, I want to correct this. I do have somebody calls me once a week and just asks me, checks in, how I'm doing. I find out he, he's doing I have an accountability partner. But other than him, um, I get calls, and those calls are usually about one or two areas, sex or money, somehow connected. The interesting thing is those are the two areas where people don't want somebody else, especially God, telling them what to do, do they? My sexuality is my business. My money is my business. Unfortunately, that's why I get these calls because in reality, especially if you're Jesus follower, they are God's business. Uh, the word on the street, the impression people have out there about people in here, <laughs> about these two areas is this. The church is against sex. Now, no, the church isn't against sex. God, we believe God created sex. God loves sex. There's a book in the Bible all about sex. And I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Uh, if you want to call me or email me, I'll let you know. And uh, it's a little steamy when you read it. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, I'll give you that. So God's not against sex. He's against sex that is damaging to you or the other person outside of His guidelines. Same thing with money. 
God doesn't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. Um, we operate on the money people give, but that's not what we want it. We want what's best for you. God wants what's best for you as it comes to money. So we're going to look at something Jesus said. And um, pretty familiar probably to most of you. I'm trying to give you some more explanation of what it means. Um, it's in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just kind of jumps from topic to topic. It's really deep, and you could study it and read it over and over again and, and, and learn from it. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus is talking. He says, no one can serve two masters. Now, we're reading that 2,000 years later, and we're thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? <laughs> I don't have any masters, and we don't have masters in our in our culture. Um, we might try and connect it with boss. You know, we have bosses at work, maybe. Um, but that's not what the term literally means. The term literally means here, the Greek word, New Testament is written Greek. It means this, the one who is in charge by virtue of ownership. Now, your boss doesn't own you, I don't think. So, it doesn't mean your boss. It means your master who's in charge of you by virtue of ownership. Now, we talked about this last week, so go back and listen. Uh, you, you were bought by a very high price by Jesus. And then he goes on and says, <clears throat> you're going to hate one and love the other or, or despise the one uh, and be devoted to the other. And I try to think of an illustration. It's kind of silly, but... Coming up on football season, we have a lot of Ravens fans and a lot of Steelers fans in our congregation. Let me tell you, most Steelers fans, of all Steelers fans, do not like Raven fans or the Raven team. Hopefully, like us, they don't like the Raven team, and vice versa. Raven fans don't like the Steelers team. Uh, it, it's kind of impossible to 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 like them both, be fans of both. But Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. You you can't. You're going to like one and not like the other. Now, what, we, what do we expect him to say next? It's interesting. He says, you can't serve God, and what do we expect? And the devil, right? Or evil, or Satan, or whatever you want to put it. Because we think of God on one side and devil on the other side. But that's not what he says. He says, you can't serve God and money. That word literally means stuff. So we would say it this way today probably. Money and the stuff money buys. You can't serve God and serve money and the stuff money buys. Another way of saying is this. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you possess your money or does your money possess you? Do you possess possessions or do your possessions possess you? What he's saying is the chief competition for God having your loyalty, your heart, is money and the stuff money can buy. We're going to talk about heart next week. But the chief competition is stuff. We call that materialism. So without guardrails in our finances, we're going to tend to veer off on the ditch of consuming or hoarding. These are basically the same thing, just two different directions. They both cause the same thing. And it's a word we don't like, we can't see in the mirror, and it's the word greed.
greed, consuming or hoarding, is motivated or caused by greed. I love this definition of greed because it's easy to remember. <laughs> kind of rhymes. Um, if I ask people are they greedy, nobody raises their hand. If I ask somebody if they want to be greedy, nobody raises their hand. <laughs> but many of us tend to be materialistic or hoarders, which means we are greedy. And the definition is this, the assumption, the belief, that it's all for my consumption. Whatever I get my hands on, you give me something, my, get some kind of money, my pay, my check, my Social Security check. Uh, if I win the lottery, I don't play the lottery, but if you win the lottery, whatever I get is for my consumption. It's for me. Everything that comes to me is for me. Materialism is for me now. I'll go and spend it now. In fact, we spend it before now, and that's how we get in debt, credit card debt. We spend it before we even get it, assuming we're going to get it. Hoarding is I'm getting it now to use later, and it's based on fear. I'm going to need this later. The problem is, when you and I live this way, we're living as if there is no God. Leaving God out of the equation, <laughs> i got to take care of it. Whatever comes to me, it's for me, and I've got to deal, deal with it, whether spend it or save it, because it's for me now or it's for me later. It reminds me of uh, something Solomon wrote <laughs> in the Old Testament, a book called Ecclesiastes. He said, eh, it's all useless. So just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you're going to die. <laughs> well, that's not good advice. <clears throat> and the other thing is when we get into trouble in any of these areas, but we're talking about money today, when we get into financial issues, what do we tend to do? Whether we're Jesus followers or not, we all of a sudden become very religious, and we start to pray. God, I don't know if you're up there or not, but I'm, you know, I've got serious problems here, and if you can help me, I would certainly appreciate it. And if we're Jesus followers, we may not talk to God very much, but when we have financial problems, we start talking to Him a whole bunch. So I'm just going to say to you, if you are going to pray or talk to a higher power, whatever term you want to use, when you have financial issues or some other issues, why don't you include them beforehand? Because you've come to the conclusion, evidently, that I, you may have chosen the wrong master. Uh, money isn't a good master, so I need another master, um, whatever other area it might be. So, just, just some suggestion word of advice, why don't you invite God into your finances before you have problems? And hopefully you're not having problems right now. Some people are, obviously, with what's going on in our society. But most people live this way. Jesus followers or not, most people live this way. They're mastered by their money. They ignore Jesus or pretend He doesn't exist when it comes to this area. It's like, you don't, you know, it's none of your business. Uh, we live first. It comes to me. I'm going to live on what I get. It's, gonna, it's mine. Do what I want. Uh, especially if you're a hoarder, you're going to save some of it. And then if you've got some left over, you might give it, especially if there's some kind of emergency, you know, a big flood somewhere, like a hurricane or something. Uh, I, I need to give some money to that. That's the way most people live, Jesus followers or not. Uh, Dave Ramsey tells us that the uh, vast majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Well, if you live paycheck to paycheck, paycheck, you certainly haven't saved much, and you certainly don't have much to give away. 
What's the alternative? What is Jesus suggesting? Well, he's saying, master your money. Don't let money master you. Master your money. So what he's saying is to give first. Whatever comes to you, my first thought is to give some of it away. My second thought is to save some of it. And then live on the rest. Now, people get nervous when we talk about money in church. Um, so I thought I'd give you a simple little illustration from when my kids were small, and they're not small anymore. So we had three jars for them, and we made it real simple. We're going to suggest to you flipping that over like Jesus suggests, give, save, live. But for our kids when they were little, that was a little hard for them to comprehend. So we put God on this first, and we put save in the second one, and we said spend. You get to spend this money. You could buy candy or whatever with this one. That's the way we just, and we didn't, our division was this way, 33, 33, 33. Kids, little kids, they don't understand. So if their allowance was $3, we say, okay, God gets your first $3, first dollar of your three. You're going to save the second dollar, which they get to eventually spend on something. And then you get to go and spend this other dollar. And then when they got older, we used the give, save, and, and live terminology. They could give it other places other than God if they wanted, but we wanted to make sure God was a priority. And we used the kind of the Dave Ramsey breakdown of 10, 10, 80. Save the first 10, I mean, give away the first 10%. That sounds kind of intuitive, but give away the first 10% or more, save the next 10% or more, and live on less than 80%. Again, most people don't do this. Now, I'm using this illustration to ask you a simple question. Why did I do that with my kids? Because our church budget really needed their dollar. We couldn't survive as a church. I couldn't get paid if they didn't put their dollar in the offering plate. Well, of course not. What did I want to teach them? I wanted to teach them that true life isn't about stuff. Money and the stuff money can buy. That's not what life's about. In fact, all of us are going to die with a lot of stuff, <laughs> and you can't take it with you. I encourage people as they get older to start giving it away. You're just putting that burden on your kids, right, that they're going to have to get rid of all that stuff. So stuff's not an issue. We all have it. We all have more than we need in reality. So what is life about? Life's not about stuff. It's basically about your time, what you do with the time you hear and you can't, <laughs> it's gone when you're gone. There's no more time. There's no more life here on earth. So I'm going to put a phrase on the screen, and it's the, usually the reverse of the way we say this, to hope you, that you can remember it or at least think about it a little bit more. When we live this way, when we have this kind of guardrail, we can say we are living in independence from a life that is independent from God. So I'm going to live a life independent from a life independent from God. Now, we normally say I'm going to live a life dependent on God. We don't want money to win. And we don't want stuff to win. Win with your heart. So let's go back to that scripture and then we'll finish that chapter, Matthew 6. 
No one can serve two masters. Hate the one, love the other. Voted one, despise the other. Can't serve God and stuff. Then he talks about birds, and then he talks about lilies of the field. Birds don't get a paycheck. Lilies don't have to wear clothing. So where's he going with this? Well, we'll pick it up in verse 31, is it? I think. 31. So, consequently, birds don't worry, flowers, flowers don't worry. So you don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? Most of us don't have to worry about it. I've got more clothes than I can wear, got more food that I can eat. I, you know, my well isn't going to go dry, I've got plenty of water. But the audience he was listening to, this was big, big time. Most people had enough food to eat maybe for a week. That's how they lived all the time. No refrigeration and all this other thing. Hard to clean drinking water was hard to come by. And clothes were really, really expensive. You were lucky you had two, two sets of clothing. Wear one when you wash the other. Can you imagine that today? Uh, I'm going to come up here with one shirt, this shirt this week, a different one next week, come back to this shirt the next week. We just don't do that, do we? So that's the audience he's talking to. We don't worry about these things so much, but they, this was life to them. These things dominate the thoughts of who? Some translations use the word pagans. It's a pretty interesting word. It just means unbelievers, people that don't believe in me or in my God, our God. They believe in these we call false gods, these gods that don't care about people. They're not personal gods. These are gods that, you know, we're sacrificing children to so, just so they won't zap us, that type of God. That's the audience he's talking to. But you, you believers, your heavenly Father already, notice, notice what he says, already knows all your needs. And again, I mentioned this last week. Little kids don't worry. Little kids... Don't worry where, where the food's coming from. Most, I'd say, grow up in a, in a healthy family. Uh, I understand there's starving children. Uh, they don't worry about the clothes, don't worry about food, they don't worry about drink. Their parents provide it for them. Well, how much more would, won't your heavenly Father first know what needs you have and provide those needs? So, what's Jesus saying? He doesn't want us to close our hands or close our hearts. When we close our hands, we're closing our hearts. When we close our hearts, we're closing our hands. Nothing can, else can come in, but nothing can go out. So, so you've got a personal God, a God that cares and a God that knows. My question to you, Jesus followers, anyway, do you really believe this? If we really believe this, would we worry? He's saying, no, <laughs> you wouldn't worry. And then we get to a part that's pretty familiar to most folks. What do we do? Not worry, what do we do? Well, first, seek something else first. Don't seek for your, these personal needs, physical needs, common needs. Don't seek for those first. Well, almost have to, don't we, Jesus? No, no, no. He said, seek first what? Something else is more important. He said, seek first his kingdom 
God's kingdom and his righteousness. Now, we don't think about kingdoms nowadays, so what is he talking about? Well, what is Jesus' kingdom? Well, Jesus' kingdom, we'll get to that in a minute, is others first. We call it the platinum rule. Do unto others as God has done for you. That's his kingdom. If you're in God's kingdom, that's the way you and I are supposed to live. And righteousness means doing what's right, and basically doing what's right is what? <laughs> others first. God and others first. Um, that's where kingdom first li living will take you. Then what does he say? Well, first his kingdom is righteousness, and what will happen? Well, all these things, what things? Food, drink, clothing will be given to you. I, no, they're not given to me. I work for them. Well, who gave you the, the strength and ability and the job, et cetera, et cetera? We would say God does. So these things are given to you. And then the last verse, I'm going to read it from a, a different translation. I love this first word. Refuse. Refuse to do what? Refuse to worry. How many of us do that? Refuse to worry about tomorrow. Deal with each challenge that comes your way, one day at a time. All right, challenge today, deal with that. Tomorrow will take care of itself. It reminds me of something that happened later in Jesus' ministries. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and this is always tricky, it's always dangerous, because the religious leaders are out to get Jesus or in Jerusalem. The disciples are following along with him. They don't know what's going to happen. They're thinking he's going to become the Messiah. The way they're thinking Messiah, I mean, they're going to, he's going to become an earthly ruler. He's going to throw off the Romans, and life's going to be good, especially for them because they're his closest followers. So Jesus is going to be on the throne, but there's going to be people on the little thrones, the right and the left, uh, second in command, and third in command. So they're discussing this, and they're debating, and they're all saying, hey, I want to be the second one. I want to be the second well, Naturally, right? So this upsets Jesus because this is a big deal. Others first, kingdom. And they're thinking, me, not first, but me, me second and third. So he has this little conversation with his disciples. It's in Mark chapter 10. So Jesus calls him over to the side and says, hey, guys, I, I need to remind you something. Or I need to explain you something. Again, <laughs> it's not the first time. You know what the rule is in this world? Lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And they're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. That's why we want to be second and third because we'll be able to lord it over other people. We'll have be an authority. We'll be able to tell other people what to do. So, yeah, Jesus, we understand that. And then he says, but among you, it's different. Uh, another translation says, not so with you. That's the way the world operates. We don't operate that way. It's a different way. Not so with you. It's going to be different. How is it going to be different? And then he gives him this, this counterintuitive instruction. Whoever wants to be leader among you must be a servant. Well, wait a minute. No, the leader isn't the servant. The servant listens to the... Jesus, what are you talking about? And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave to everyone else or last. Well, no. You can't be first if you're last. That's the, Jesus, 
what are you talking about? He's saying, in any situation, look to be last. We don't want to be last. We want to... <clears throat> and so, like you and I, we object to this. It doesn't, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't seem to make sense. Um, so, I'm sure they're objecting. So, notice Jesus' comeback. It, it's huge. Okay, guys? For even the Son of Man, me, Jesus talking, I didn't come to be served. And I'm the Messiah. I'm God. I'm God's Son. So, I mean, I'm up here. I'm at the top. But what did I come to do? Be down here to serve. Serve others. Serve to the point, the most extreme point, to sacrifice my life, to give my life a ransom for many, for all. So what's Jesus saying? Said to them, what's he saying to you and I? Uh, Guys, you better than me? You better than me? You don't think you need to serve? Well, that's what I came to do? came across this statement, and I'm still mulling it over in my head. Selflessness solves everything. Seemed to work for Jesus. And it's easy for us to say we love God and come to worship or watch worship. Um, and I can imagine God saying this phraseology we have in our society. Show me the money. Show me the money if you think you claim to love me so much. So I'm going to go to this last passage in uh, another translation, kind of more, more modern phraseology. Uh, call it the message paraphrase. So what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Like I said, we're not trying to get you nervous about <laughs> financial things. Relax. Not so preoccupied with getting. So you can respond to God's giving. People don't know God and the way He works, fuss over these things. But you both know both God and how He works. Shame on you for fussing over these things. He goes on. <clears throat> Steep your life, focus your life in God reality. God initiative, and I love this line, it's God's provision. I tell our finance committee, you, you, church pays my pays my salary, gives me a paycheck, but you, you're not, provi- God's providing for me. He's using you to provide for me, but God's my provision. God's your provision, not your employee. Don't worry about missing out. you find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And last verse, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow and watching the news, that's what happens. I read the headlines, I don't really watch the news. Ah, what's going to happen? It's going to happen politically. What's going to happen financially? No, no, no. Don't get worked up about this stuff. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Market crashes, God will help us. Whoever gets elected, God will help us. So, Important thing about this series is putting into practice. 
first setting up the guardrails and probably, I'm thinking this is probably the hardest area <laughs> to actually keep in the safety zone. It's so easy to go through the guard, this guardrail. So what we're guarding, what are we guarding against? We're guarding against greed. Nobody wants to be a greedy. So here it is. Pick a percentage to give away first. We suggest starting at 10%. If you've never done this before, start at least by 5%. I say people can't give 10%. I say if you got cut, your salary got 10, cut by 10%, would you die? Of course not. You adjust. So you could give 10%. Same thing with saving. Now, for some of us that have given 10% for a long time, it should be a lot more than 10%. Church keeps more than 10% of my salary. I give money, I give money to other things outside of that. Um, it's fun. It's, it's, Bible says you should give hilariously. And it's like saying, and then live on less than 80%. Again, if you didn't know what other people have, it'd be a lot easier. If you were in another cult, you've been a third world country, they have a lot less than you do. So you and I can both live on a lot. Less. And then we had the joy of giving away more. Uh, for God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. You want to be God-like? You got to be giving to people. Now, before I pray and close, I want to thank you all for your generosity. <laughs> Those of you who give to this church, this ministry. As I said, we're operating in the black during COVID. We haven't taken money from the government. Um, you know, it might change when we get back to meeting. Our expenses may go up. You know, hopefully our offering will go up to meet those. But thank you, thank you, thank you. We have never, I, I think, treasurer's here, I don't think we've ever ended, ended a year in the, in, in the red. Uh, church is 30, well, a couple of years old. Uh, that's because of your generosity. Nobody else gives us money <laughs> other than, than you. We thank you that you understand the priority of giving. You understand the priority of giving to God and His ministry. And I thank you that you believe in the ministry here. So I want to make sure I said that before we close. So let me pray for you. This is such a big, important area in all our lives. Father God, thank you. We thank you for all your instructions about all areas of life, but especially this one. And you make it kind of easy, simple to understand, not so easy to do, of course, because we all tend to be selfish and and we either want to spend money on stuff we don't have or can't even afford or to hold on to it for whatever reason. Um, and we're all going to die with a bunch of stuff. And I don't think that's helpful to you and your, or your honor to you or help for your kingdom. So help us to see things as always through your eyes. And you give us stuff to enjoy. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy it. I have a nice house. I've got nice stuff. Uh, but that's not a priority or shouldn't be the priority of my life or any of our lives. Um, help us, again, set up these, this guardrail and then hopefully it, bells go off, loud bells go off as we get, approach it, as we get close to it, and that we don't go through it, especially don't crash through it or blow through it ignoring it. Um, God, what a difference it will make in the life of folks listening um, to their happiness, their contentment, and to your glory.
of what your kingdom can do with selfless disciples. You modeled it. You came to serve. Let us follow your example. For those that have never become Jesus followers, never stepped across that line, we encourage you to do that today. Hopefully you can see the wisdom in these words. And as we said last week, Jesus paid the enormous price of giving his life for you. He would have done it just for you so that you could have a relationship with God. Your sins could be forgiven. What's all this left for you to do is accept that gift, to believe it, to trust it. Say, yes, I accept that gift. I accept that forgiveness. I repent of my sins. I ask for forgiveness and I accept it. And then believe. My sins are forgiven. And then you can live in the freedom that comes in Christ. God, we thank you again that you bless us so much. Uh, I have so much. Hopefully, I, I, I use it wisely as you would want me to use it. And as a church, we would use these resources wisely. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.